1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Before They Were Live, a conversation about the Disney animated canon in chronological order. We've got roustabouts, uh, pulchritudinous pachyderms in both pink and technicolor, a reverend rodent, and the ninth wonder of the universe, the mightiest midget mastodon, Dumbo. As we come to you on the brink of World War III and the possible end of the world, we head back to a simpler time released in 1941 on the brink of the United States entering World War II. I am Joshua Almanchover, and joining Michael and I this week, I'm thrilled uh, today to welcome our first guest to Before They Were Live, Victoria Reynolds Farmer of Christian Feminist Podcast fame. Welcome, everybody.
2: Hi. Morning, Josh. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Um, I'm hoping to have more guests in the future but i'm glad to have you as the first one it's really really exciting so dumbo uh as i mentioned there was released in 1941 and um quite a different film than the the three that we've talked about before it was purposely made uh kind of in a cheap more of a trying trying to make it cheaply i guess is is the right way to put it um in order to Try and finally make some money for the studio. They'd been struggling for a few years because of uh, the rising war in Europe. They weren't able to get um, any funds from from the you know from releasing either Pinocchio or Fantasia in Europe, and so they were really um, pressed for cash, which is is hard to imagine now um, yeah. because of the. I mean, we just think of Disney as the multi-billion-dollar corporation that can do whatever it wants, but. They definitely were in they were in hard straits at this time
0: this is the second Disney movie to make a profit, and they wouldn't have another one until Cinderella yeah
1: some- t- some definitely some tough times ahead uh for Dumbo and I mean sorry not for Dumbo but for for Disney around this time of Dumbo
0: Dumbo's got some tough times too though to be fair yes he does <laughs> That's
2: right.
1: yes Dumbo has a lot of a lot of tough times um yeah, so Michael, you usually you you usually jump us off with um talking about seeing this movie as or when we first saw it. Um what do you guys remember of Dumbo from your from your childhood?
0: I definitely watched it when I was a kid. Um I I don't remember any kind of reaction to it other than that I I liked it. Um uh but man, this movie plays different now that I'm an adult than it did when I was a kid. That's for sure.
2: Absolutely. Uh, I remember seeing it as a kid as well um, and liking it. But the only like clear memory I have, other than being absolutely terrified of pink elephants on parade, which honestly <laughs> is still scary as an adult, um, is iron... Technicolor
1: pachyderms are too much for you, Victoria.
2: Uh, <laughs> seeing
0: things just ain't so.
2: Yeah, I don't really <laughs> like like psychedelic things. I'm I'm a person who really likes to be in control. So like I'm scared of even the idea of hallucinations. I guess I don't know. I don't like it. Um, but. Other than that, the only memory I have of seeing the film as a child is that it made my mother cry. Um, mm. Which I, I guess this is the the point in that conversation where I say, uh, as a person with a disability, I have a lot of feelings about Dumbo, and um, it it really does strike me as a as different as an adult, given sort of some of the life experiences. Um, I've had and the experiences I had growing up and there are really sort of some some really startling uh parallels in the film to i think um the the experience of going through the world with a disability
1: we can we can jump into that now or we can get to it a little later, whichever you prefer um is it okay just for listeners who aren't familiar, like I don't know how much you want to get into your personal story, but do you want to talk a little bit about like what, what you mean when you say I'm a person with a disability?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with that. So I, um, I, I can talk about my specific disability and also why I uh, choose to say person with a disability instead of other language because I think that's important too. Um, So I have cerebral palsy, which is um, a a rather catch-all diagnosis. Um, It's usually applied sort of when doctors don't know what else to diagnose a child with. Um, Usually is a child uh, in question. The diagnosis is typically given between the age of like one and a half and two, Uh, usually if there's some sort of limited mobility or muscle spasticity. Um, I don't want to get too deep into medical language, uh, so I'll, uh, I'll stop there except to say um, I walk with an abnormal gait. Um, I have a fairly mild case of cerebral palsy. There are lots of people who have more severe cases. I don't have to use a wheelchair, for example. Um, but because of um, because of growing up with CP, there are a lot of things that I had to adapt to or learn to do differently. Um, there were definitely a lot of cases growing up where I was teased. Um, so those are, are some of the places where the movie kind of gets to me. But also, um, I choose to call myself a person with a disability instead of uh, a disabled person. Um, because I like adhering to what's called person-first language. The idea is just that um, if I call myself a person with a disability, I'm not letting the disability be the entirety of my identity. Um, Other people do prefer to use identity-first language, call themselves disabled, um, because they see it as a a kind of reclamation of a negative word. So you can go uh, either way but that's, that's my preference.
0: So now does Dumbo prefer to be called an elephant with big ears or a big-eared elephant?
2: I'm not sure what his uh, what his linguistic preferences are or that he has made those choices for himself yet. But I think Timothy Mouse would probably use animal-first language. I would think
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy Mouse seems to be the voice of Dumbo mostly. Um, self-elected. This, yeah, self-elected. Um which we've seen before. We saw um yeah, uh with uh Jiminy Cricket was a bit well uh, just, I guess he was uh, kind of appointed but um yeah, I didn't ask you about that at the time, Michael and I kind of meant to. Um it, we see in Dumbo and we see it in other places uh Jiminy Cricket being the first I think of kind of the sidekick um helper, speak up for you, advocate, uh, you know, friend. And I was wondering if, if that's an invention of these uh, Disney films or if there's a, um, you know, if there's a, a literary sort of precursor to that that, that you would recognize. Um,
0: hmm. I mean, it's an old comedy trope. You have a character who's very quiet and then a, a character who talks a lot. Victoria, do you know, I, um, I feel like this, it could be like an Elizabethan stage thing.
2: In terms of like quiet advocacy um, and and quiet knowledge, um, I mean, I, f- I feel like you could make a sort of quasi-Elizabethan fool argument, um, certainly more, I think, for Jiminy Cricket than for Timothy Mouse. Um, But I was thinking also of um, the way guardianship works in Dickens, um, that usually you get a a young character um, thinking of of Great Expectations, of David Copperfield and of Little Dorrit. Um, You get a a younger character that's kind of um, both sheltered from the world and brought deeper into kind of subcultury, dark, um, places by, uh, by characters who are more familiar with the sort of, um, subcultury underworld place. So that, that's what maybe just because we were dealing with a kind of circus subculture, but that, that's what I kept thinking of watching, uh, Dumbo this time was that the relationship was a little bit Dickensian.
0: Jiminy Cricket would seem to me to belong more to the like spiritual guide tradition. Certainly, he would owe something. And man, this is highfalutin. Uh, he would he would owe something. to I my, love it
1: when you go highfalutin,
0: though. <laughs> it makes I, me I, really I, happy. I uh, I I think he would certainly belong to like the Virgil Dante tradition. Sure. Especially, I wish I'd thought about this at the time. But especially the way he is constantly reprimanding Pinocchio. The difference is Dante respects Virgil.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So there's a moment since we're talking about um, the two films together. um, I wanted to get your take on this, Josh. There's a moment where um, Timothy mouse is talking to Dumbo and he, I forget what he wraps himself up in, but he's like talking into his ear and while we were watching it i asked michael if that was a if he thought it was a jiminy cricket gag like it it seemed like a direct reference did you catch that
1: oh i missed that i don't know um yeah i'm not i can't even picture what you're what you're talking about right now it's when he's talking to dumbo or when he's talking to the circus director i know when he talks to the circus director he wraps himself up in a sheet M-
2: maybe yeah maybe that's it Mm. Yeah. Maybe he's not. It's it's the yeah, that's right because he's asleep. The the oh, yeah.
1: yeah, and he says, "I'm the voice of your subconscious, subconscious <laughs> maybe, <laughs>
0: or something well, like that." Right. That's a reference, apparently. What's that? I, I, I read that that the 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 shadow he casts in that scene is a reference to Nosferatu, the classic German expressionist Dracula movie. Okay.
2: Wow, that's <laughs> deep and weird. <laughs>
1: yeah but while we're yeah so while we're on this kind of general topic of of things we see in dumbo that relate to other disney things i i missed that one on jiminy cricket that may be in there um but i was wondering i think this is the this seems to be the movie to me that kind of sets the ground rules for disney features and other i mean basically animated features going forward even up to like finding dory as far as like um Animals having inner lives and inner actions of their own, um, understanding humans, understanding the human world, but we are we have no um, understanding of them. Or, uh, I mean, you see that in so many places. It seems like Dumbo is maybe the 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 trend center in that way. Would you guys agree with that, or would you see that in other places before Dumbo?
0: Certainly, in the features, I would say it begins here. I'm trying to think. I mean, like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck don't have a lot of interaction with humanoid people or human people, but I I wonder if so, some of the Silly Symphonies do it. And then, of course, you get Jay Worthington, Fowlfellow, and Gideon from Pinocchio. Yeah, but, but something different. They're not really animals.
1: Yeah, they they I agree that they're they're definitely in the same sort of line, but yeah, they're they're very different. I mean, Jiminy is much more. I mean, as uncricket-like as Jiminy is, at least he's supposed to be a cricket. Um, right. Whereas, <laughs> I don't know what Fowlfellow and, you know, like I mean, they're they're too big to be an actual fox and a cat, and they're very different from the other animals in the in in Pinocchio. So they're, yeah, they're kind of in a league of their own.
0: I, I think you're right. I think Dumbo sets that trope uh, for for future features.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably true. Like I was thinking about the just the interaction within the film. Um you get sort of in groups and out groups of animals, but you also get the difference between like the animals and the clowns, for example.
0: Mhm. Those horrible horrible clowns.
2: <laughs> well, let, let's uh let's be clear. All clowns are horrible because all clowns have two terrifying faces.
0: Red skeleton's not horrible.
2: Sad clowns are worse.
1: <laughs> yeah, clowns are no, definitely not um uh, portrayed in a in a positive light in this movie, though, that's for sure. To be fair, I mean, almost becoming, nothing is. Yeah. <laughs> that's really wait, true. Wait.
0: Everybody in this movie other than Timothy, Mrs. Jumbo, and the crows are just uh just portrayed as utter sadists.
1: Yeah, but the elephants are supposed to be a noble race. I mean, they claim to be a noble race, and and Timothy calls them a noble race. They They have have their dignity.
2: He calls them a noble race to them, though. He's just parroting their line back to them to get what he wants.
0: No, no, he's making fun of them. Oh, for sure. He hears them calling themselves a noble race, and then he, after he scares them, he, he says, a noble race, but he's not talking to them.
2: Oh, I thought at one point he was in any case, yeah. the point stands he's not being sincere about it,
1: yeah, although I think he is later when he's comforting Dumbo, he he repeats it again there, like he's talking about you know pachyderms don't cry or whatever um.
2: <laughs> but that the context is is different at that point,
0: yeah, definitely. Josh, did you show did you show this to your kids? We 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 breezed by that, but we we were wondering as we watched it how your kids took it if they watched it.
1: Um, I think my kids are really going to like this one. I did not show them to I did not show it to them this time just because of the way the timing worked out. I wasn't able to um, watch it with them in preparation for the show. I had to watch it at a different time, so um, eventually they will see it. But um, yeah, I didn't show it to them at this time, so. But I think they'll really like it. This one, I think also, it kind of sets that trend of, um, this definitely feels much more like a movie for kids than the previous three have. Like, I think we're into the animation is, or we're getting into the animation is for kids zone here. Like, there's no, there's nothing terribly frightening. And like you guys said, like, I mean, watching it as a kid versus watching it as an adult, you obviously pick up on different things and catch different things, but... There's not, like, a sinister evil bad guy or
0: whatever, you know? Well, what, what I would say is the things that are frightening about this movie are frightening for adults. So what's frightening is that she gets taken away from her child for defending her child. Or what's frightening is he gets shunned by all the other members of his species. Right. Which, which are things that I don't think kids may understand that on some sort of instinctual level. But it's not going to frighten them the way that the coachman from Pinocchio would frighten them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what I meant. Although, Victoria, I'd like to hear kind of your take on that because, I mean, if you've been, you know, if you've experienced bullying or whatever as a child and then you watch this, maybe that that resonates differently.
2: Um, Is it more
1: frightening in that way then?
2: I, like I said, I don't remember being scared of the, or having knowledge of the kind of disability stuff in this movie, as a kid, um, though I apparently my mother did because she cried watching it, um, and i I think that she um, while she was watching it with me as a child, she was probably dealing with um, her sort of own adult fears of what what it's like to to raise a, a child in a world that she knows is going to be mean to it um, the the sort of desire for protection that you're talking about. Um, but the, the things that, that stick with me now are things that I'm sort of looking back on, experiences that I had um, as a child that that I didn't really understand at the time except that they were sad, but that I get in a kind of deeper social significance way as an adult.
1: Look out for Mister
2: Stark, that persevering chap, to come along and drop a bundle in your lap. You may be poor or rich, it doesn't matter which.
1: Millionaires
2: they get theirs like the butcher and the baker. So look out for Mister Stark, and let me tell you, friend, don't
1: try. To yeah. Get so away. as you say that, I want I, I'm wondering now. So as as I watched it um, this time, I was listening more carefully to. You know the lyrics of the songs and stuff, and the 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 first song that we hear is the uh, the lookout for Mister Stork, um, yeah. and it's it's very um, it's very much a warning to parents about like the the trials of having the kid. I guess you know it's like look out, he'll come for you. You can't avoid it. You can't. You know, doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Um, the stork will find you. You know, like, <laughs> Um, There's a, there's a pre-birth control,
0: uh, feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's true too. But, um, that kind of, it kind of goes in line with what you guys are talking about of those. It's definitely the fears in this movie are more the, the adult fears and those things that you do, I guess you deal with more as a parent, um, seeing the harsh world, you know, um, and, but you're bringing a, you're bringing a child into it anyway, you know. You're bringing an innocence into a place that you know is, is not for the innocent.
2: I read that uh, the stork is coming for everyone line a little differently than you guys did. I guess I, I saw it as um, babies are sort of equalizers, like rich rich and poor are all the same. Everybody everybody has to go through the same parenting experience. Except Mrs. Jumbo doesn't because she gets her baby later than everybody else. Like her, 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 baby is, is different even before we know he's physically different.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I was, um, yeah, this movie, I think there's an interesting sort of pathos to the movie with just the, I don't know, like, I uh, just, Yeah, you're right. From the beginning, you're, you're seeing her longing for a child and not getting one. And then, I mean, obviously this whole movie, like there's, there's many, many, um, just kind of sad and depressing parts to it. Um, where, you know, whether it's her, you know, the injustice, um, that Dumbo faces, um, on, you know, from multiple, from the little boys and from, from his own, uh, kind and then from, uh, you know, her being taken away from him, the injustice of that. And I, yeah, just throughout the movie. Um And I, f- I found that very interesting because I, d- I, I find this movie, and I remember even as a kid finding it, um I don't know what the right word for it is, but just, you know, emotionally moving in, in those scenes, the baby mine and, and things like that.
2: Oh, where, man, um, it's so hard. That dead. song is so hard.
0: Yeah. Were you crying and, when we went? i was just weeping i couldn't i couldn't control myself
2: oh absolutely i yeah i I really really wanted to call my mom after we saw that though i didn't do that which i guess is bad
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i went i was wondering about that just because you know um when disney's first creating his movies um he's wanting to get his his he wants to prove that animation can get audiences to that emotional level. And at first he's trying to accomplish that by elevating the art itself. Um, but I, fi- I feel like this movie where they actually, you know, didn't focus as much on the art, the art is, is much more crude than the other films we've looked at um, so far that somehow they accomplish it much better. And so I don't, I don't know what that says, or if it says anything, um,
0: but I found that very interesting. Well, I think the story they're telling is more human, I mean ironically, since there's so few human characters but i I think that accounts for it that that this is a, this is a story about an outcast um which is something everybody feels like from time to time, whereas Snow White's story is so specific i guess everybody i guess everybody secretly thinks that their parents aren't their parents um but but everybody absolutely, when they're a kid, especially, feels like like they're the butt of the world's joke. So you you feel for you feel for Dumbo.
2: I also kind of I shouldn't use feel for because I don't feel for them in the same way, but um, I, I think there's a really deep humanness to the other animals' actions, too. Like, the, the, lady, the adult lady elephants are absolutely horrible. Um, they're very, very mean, but I think their meanness comes from an understandable human place, um, e- even as it, it, is, uh, it is unconscionable. Like Very they, much
0: meaner than I remembered them
2: being. To a child, too. Like, that's the thing that kept coming back to me was, like, you are grown – not grown people. You are grown <laughs> uh, animals standing in for people being rude to a baby. Like it just yeah, it's really, really awful.
0: We can't even talk yet.
2: But I I understand, like, per- particularly if you think about, like – um circuses and and sort of the the normalization of the abnormal that that happens um, that that circus culture and um, freak show and sideshow culture come to represent Um, it makes total sense how much pride they have in their in group and that they resent him for sort of threatening that unity Um, but i want to stop defending them now because they are terrible The
0: matriarch elephant, especially. The one the one who spells out freak and yeah. ears. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the <laughs> She's one who calls earth. him an
2: F-R-E-A-K.
0: <laughs> the little F-R-E-A-K. She also plays a horrible flower in uh, Alice in Wonderland, so we have that to look forward to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one elephant, though... um she gets to come back as a much nicer elephant later because she comes back as uh Winifred in the jungle book. Oh,
0: is Verna, that true?
1: yeah. Verna Felton plays, uh, one of the elephants and then she comes back as, as Winifred in the jungle book and gets to actually stick up for the, <laughs> stick up for the kid, for the orphan or whatever. So,
0: and that's the uh, fairy godmother too, from Cinderella.
1: That's right. Yes. Yeah.
0: I did not recognize her voice. That's a good catch.
2: Talk about how Timothy Mouse reacts to the elephant's shaming?
1: Yeah, let's jump into that. So, you've, (laughs) I did not think about at all the kind of humanizing reasons why they may have um, acted the way they did, but definitely shame would be a huge part of it. I mean, she says, she says, um, she says it a couple times, and at one point says, his disgrace is our shame. Um, Kind of, uh, there's a communal. (laughs) There's a communal shame because, you know, he's a fellow elephant, I guess. But um, I think I believe that's the line they take before um, they take the the sacred vow or whatever they call it to uh, because to never consider him an elephant again after he's he's become a clown. But yeah, so talk a little bit about about that, Victoria.
2: Uh, yeah, so I I um, I typed that phrase out, his disgrace is our own shame, because I was really struck by that. Um, and then Yeah, you
0: made me pause the movie so you could write it down <laughs> I,
2: I knew that would be important to talk about um and then did so, I get it
1: at the right point is that the right point that, yeah, when she says that I don't
2: remember yeah it's the it's the clown part because immediately okay. after that they say um, in in the future just pretend you don't see him which mm. is <laughs> Uh, which is I mean I, I think if you if you talk to Lots of people with lots of different kinds of disabilities—they will tell you um, that that there's a degree to which we move through the world with a certain invisibility because people are so uncomfortable, um, sort of acknowledging the disruption of their normal that they just pretend they don't see you. Um, so that that rang really true, um, really true to life to me. But the the coolest. Um the coolest kind of disability history parallel that I found in the film is when Timothy Mouse starts defending Dumbo. Um he he sort of gets offended by the other elephants conversation and is um is trying to make Dumbo feel better and he tells him three things right in a row. First he says uh your ears, they ain't nobody's fault. Um, so, one, nobody's fault. Two, he says, I think they're beautiful. And then the third statement he makes is, lots of people with big ears are famous, and then they start to engineer this, like, you'll be the star of the show plot. So that's really interesting. Can I, can I
0: interrupt you for just a second? While, yeah. while we're on that, lots of people with big ears are famous. Y- yes. That is the Clark Gable joke, right?
2: I assumed so.
0: Okay, I'm who sorry. Is. <laughs> oh, really? From Gone with the
2: Wind? Rhett, Rhett Butler. From Gone with the Wind.
1: Okay, I don't know if I've seen Gone with the Wind.
2: He oh. He has. You, you've
0: you've he, seen him. He's a He's a notably large-eared yeah, actor. He is. Okay. <laughs>
1: I recognize him. the name, so I'm sure I must see him. I'll, I'll look him up on IMDb here. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen him. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry.
2: So, what's particularly interesting about this progression of three statements is that um, it anticipates um, a particular progression of theory about disability um, before the progression actually occurs in our society. So, the first statement, "It's nobody's fault," is a, a distance from um, the the current theory of the time, which is called the medical model of disability. The idea that the person with a disability has a problem um, and the onus of fixing that problem is on that person and not on the larger society. So Timothy Mouse is saying that's not true, it's not your fault. Um, then he says, I think they're beautiful, uh, which to me is, uh, is a step even later. Past um, getting away from the medical model into the pride model, which is sometimes also called the crip pride model. Um, it really takes off in the United States in like the 80s. Um, yeah, the the 80s and into the 90s, you get reclamations of words like uh, cripple and freak people saying that what makes their bodies different is is beautiful and should be a source of pride and then the third statement uh, lots of people with big ears are famous um, is kind of where we are now in terms of representation Like we need lots of people who are diverse in high places to show us that there's a place for everyone um, movements now um, like uh hashtag Oscars so white or hashtag Emmy's so black um things that are saying like famous people, people who are in the spotlight need to represent um a broad diversity of races, ethnicities, genders, abilities, etc. So while I'm probably reading too much into Timothy Mouse's statements, I think they're uh I think that that reading uh is, is there and could be valid and is very interesting.
1: Yeah, I find that extremely interesting. That's, that seems like, um, man, way to go, Timothy Mouse. You jumped, you know, 60, 70, (laughs) 70 years into the future there.
0: Uh, so that's, you gotta write the paper, Victoria.
2: I, I actually looked to see if it already exists. It doesn't, exists it doesn't seem to so I, I really should write it people who are listening to this i uh, i call dibs on uh timothy mouse as disability activist ahead of his time
1: but if you're looking for papers to write i might i may have another one later so um <laughs> but yeah <laughs> so keep listening um, even though victoria called dibs on that one that's cool so um yeah, not to get too far away from the movie, but um, since you are here to kind of talk on, on this subject, what what is your, I don't know, for, for people who are listening, like in order to help kind of alleviate some of that invisibleness, like, I mean, what's what's the right way to, I mean, obviously it's going to be different for every person, but can you give us some like general advice of like how how, how do you alleviate some of that invisibility and maybe even, you know, are there things that, like Timothy Mouse, like that we should say or should not say, or um, do you want to speak to that at all?
0: Victoria loves it when uh, people she doesn't know greet her very warmly on the street because they feel guilty about her disability.
2: So this is going to make me sound like a jerk, but I don't care. Um, the, the, opposite of, uh, the opposite of that um, just pretend you don't see him thing is uh, what Michael is talking about, which I do hate. Um, When people are passing you on the street and they, apropos of completely nothing, um, stop and say hello, it's because they don't know how to occupy physical space with someone who occupies space differently than them. Mm. And, like, I... I really do sound like a jerk, um, but... Um, I I just think, like, people need to be honest with themselves about where that impulse comes from, even though I think it's a well-meaning impulse. Um, I I would like it if people investigated that more. Also, um, pro tip, don't open a conversation with a person with a disability that you don't know by asking them what's wrong with them or what happened to them. Uh, which seems like an obvious thing, but happens fairly frequently, so some people uh don't don 't know that um, i'm 'm fine with people asking questions, but you should try not to be rude about it um, Know that most people with disabilities have been in situations like this a lot, so most of us have developed a sort of routine that we fall back on to deal with those questions in public. Um, In my case, I mean, I can only speak to my own experiences really, but I have like a a different set of points I go through for children and for adults, um, as well as for adults who approach me in a respectful way and adults who do not approach me in a respectful way um but for children especially like it's um i i always appreciate it <laughs> children who are with their families whose parents encourage the children to say hello to be nice to ask questions um because you know that's just a good a good learning opportunity, a good way to start a conversation, and teach your child that not everyone is the same as them, but you know that's okay, and people are still nice, and 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 those kinds of things. Um, that never bothers me. Like it bothers me when adults are disrespectful in public. Like this one time in graduate school, I was with. Um, a really good friend of mine in a coffee shop and we were just standing in line waiting to order our coffee as you do and this guy um comes up and taps me on the shoulder which if you don't know me do not touch my body ever that's not all right at all um and goes what's wrong with you (laughs) like that (laughs) Which like, I still
0: think you should have said What's wrong with me right now is I'm talking to an a-hole <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, but those things never come to you When you need them to, right? It's always like 15 minutes later um,
0: L'Esprit d'Escalier
2: Ooh, that's very fancy
0: Yeah, the French have a word for that It's called the, the spirit of the staircase Because you, you think of it as you, you walk down the
2: stairs Oh, that's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> um. So I really like. I guess what people should should know is that um, one size doesn't fit all in this situation. Like, just be open to having a conversation. Um, be be open to realizing that you might be expressing ableist biases that you don't see um, from from your place of privilege. Um, ableism is, is, uh, prejudiced assumptions based on bodily ability, just in case, uh, there are people listening who aren't familiar with that term. So I, I don't know, treat humans like humans, I guess is my, my biggest, um, takeaway and, and maybe try to stay away from words like wrong or normal or abnormal. But freak's okay, right? Uh, freak is okay if the person with a disability is claiming it for themselves, and if you spell it out. Sure. Yeah, yeah. it's okay
1: if you spell it. Sure, that's fine. <laughs> no, no, I'm really, yeah, I'm really glad you said that. I think um, the, especially uh, talking about the kids, because that was kind of where my next question was going to lead. Um, because, I mean, I have four kids, and. You know, sometimes we see people, uh, we take a lot of public buses and things like that. Sometimes we see people on the bus um, and my kids, you know, they'll be like, what's the deal, you know, um, and sometimes pointing and things like that. Like, I mean, they're just they're they're trying to learn the social um, cues and stuff. And uh, yeah, so. We we actually had an incident at dinner the other night where somebody was over and she has a scar on her on her chest. And, you know, one of my daughters was just like, hey, what, you know, like asked Allison, my wife, not the guest, you know, like what's what's wrong with her chest or something like that? You know, and so trying to, you know, trying to navigate those waters and, and figure it out. But also just, you know, for myself, um, you know, wanting to, as as you said, like, I mean you don't want people to feel invisible on your account. Um, and so, yeah, not overcompensating and doing the super warm welcome, but also, uh, yeah, trying to figure out where where those, I forget exactly how you said it, but like what's making you uncomfortable, you know, kind of looking interior there.
0: Just don't let your kids stare at people in public.
2: Yeah, we, yeah. we um, I, I, I kind of love how how much Michael is sensitive to the staring now. Um I I
0: think well, that's to notice it.
2: <laughs> it's all right. I mean <laughs> sensitive
0: I... may not be the right word for me. You
2: you have become sensitive. A sensitivity has developed. It's fine it's fine. Um, you don't live in my body the way that I do. So you know that that's that's understandable. But I would I would much prefer um in situations where like when we're in public and people's children stare at me which happens I wouldn't say every time I go out but like pretty close to every time I go out in public because my uh my difference in gait is is noticeable Visibly. Um, there are parents who will get really nervous and sort of like pull their children away and tell them not to stare. And I get that they want to be polite and and good for them for teaching their children to be polite and not stare and point. But um, rather than sort of avoid engaging or avoid acknowledging my existence in that way, I would much prefer um, if parents would say, like, you know, go say hello, or if the child has a question, I would be okay with a parent, um, encouraging them to go and ask me as long as they did it in a respectful way. I think that's a better way to handle it.
1: And hopefully that would help that kid in the future too when they, you know, as they meet other people, um, or even, you know, peers, um, Just, yeah, to be able to interact in that way, so.
0: Yeah,
1: so Timothy is kind of a, uh, or not kind of, is definitely a super optimist, um, always finding the bright side in things, um, which I think is... Is fun. He's um, very different out- outlook than anyone else in the movie, for sure. That's that's about all I've got on Timothy.
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> I find him a little annoying. But the way I find Jiminy Cricket a little annoying, it's, he he just talks a lot.
2: Yeah. Do, do you find his optimism annoying, or is it something else? i i know
0: no, because the the movie is so dark and and so ugly at the beginning that i if he weren't optimistic, I think the movie would be almost unbearable um i I don't know he also has that voice the uh the New York voice i don't know you're I, I, not a I fan this out well I'm sorry
1: that's <laughs> okay. I try and think out loud on these shows all the time about what I think about things so no problem.
2: So what about I mean we've been talking about Timothy Mouse as mostly positive and he is mostly positive especially when compared to um like the clowns and the terrible lady elephants but he's a little bit mercenary too, right? Like he's he's kind of about Dumbo being famous and and about people uh noticing them. Did did that add a little bit of negativity to him to you guys too or just is that just me?
0: I just saw him as presenting fame as the solution to all of Dumbo's problems, which is naive <laughs> because you know Famous people are not particularly happy, as far as I can tell, but uh, but understandable in a in a Hollywood movie, you know. Of, of course, that's what they would think, but I, I don't know that we're supposed to correct that. I think I think I think the movie expects us to go along with that.
2: Well, the the movie certainly doesn't um, doesn't correct it. I mean, it, it wraps it up pretty nice. Um, it flying says that. What makes Dumbo different makes him special. Uh, His mom gets a bunch of money and an air-conditioned car on the train. And the terrible...
0: Which is clearly what they were going to do at the end of the tour,
2: otherwise. That's true. And it turns the terrible elephant ladies uh, from a bunch of gossips literally into an affirming chorus Um, singing the song at the end of the movie.
1: Yeah, there's some... I think Michael's right that the movie just expects us to go along with this. And I think you see it also, like, I mean, everybody's always trying to make it to the big top or the big time or whatever they call it uh, throughout the movie. Like, that's that's the clown's goal as well, is just to be, you know, more well-known, more spectacular. That's the ringmaster's goal. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, Timothy is just, you know, right in line with what everybody else is wanting to do. Even the, even the birds, you know, the crows at the end or, you know, those, you know, they don't know what they're in for when they, you know, when they see you guys, you know, those city folks don't know what they're in for or whatever, you know, like just, it's, it's all perceived as really good.
0: Yeah. Well, and I don't know if fame makes Dumbo happy, but certainly taking revenge on his enemies makes Dumbo happy.
1: (laughs) Yes. And he does that too. Um. Yeah, which, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's admittedly a feel good part of the film, right? Like, um, oh, you
0: cheer when he shoots those peanuts at the uh gossiping Sal's.
1: Yeah, I think every yeah everybody does probably, but but you're right that that's not a particularly biblical outlook.
2: <laughs> but it it does get worse before it gets better the fame thing right because he knocks over the pyramid first the first time he tries to sort of be um be famous the first time he gets the the d flag um he when he knocks down the pyramid he uh sort of crumples up the flag and rips the D off and the white flag becomes a surrender flag. Um, Mm -hmm. And and then it works out after that, but the first time it goes bad.
1: Yeah. That's that's such a a sad moment. I mean, everything's already falling apart and then it ends with that, uh, that flag coming up out of the, (laughs) the, the little flap in the tent. And then it immediately goes into the, they're back on the train and it's the, the Casey Junior song, but played in a very dour key. So,
0: <laughs> a sad reprise.
1: Yes, very sad reprise. I did want to go back to asking you um, both uh, what you thought, though, about the uh, the idea of you know what what held him down um, now lifting him up. Uh, Timothy Mao says the very thing that 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 held you down is going to carry you up and up and up. And, um, yeah, particularly, you know, just as we've been talking about disabilities and things like that, I know that, um, you know, I've, I've seen it where, you know, people talk about it as, you know, their superpower or, um, those sorts of things or like turning it into your superpower. Um, do you guys have any feelings on that or any, anything to speak to about that?
0: Well, I, I mean, you talk about tropes set by Dumbo, and I think I think this is definitely one. The message of every children's movie nowadays seems to be, "Be yourself, and great things will happen." And that I mean that is that is definitely a message of this movie. Uh, mm. That that you know Dumbo, by being Dumbo instead of trying to be something he's not, ends up being famous and powerful, and uh, universally loved.
2: I I think that's true. Um I think later Disney films that also serve as disability um allegories, Josh you mentioned one of them earlier. Um Finding Dory does this really well, um and Finding Nemo too in a slightly different way. Um also my my favorite of the uh Disney disability allegory films, Wreck-It Ralph, um I think does it the best, but yeah this uh this idea that like if if you embrace the thing that makes you odd eventually other people will come around um is is good but can also maybe sometimes be socially dangerous is maybe too strong a word but like maybe we shouldn't entirely believe that myth too much because I think it puts a lot of trust in our fellow humans that sometimes they don't earn. Is that mm. too cynical?
0: My guess, is, my guess is those gossipy elephants would probably not come around to Dumbo's side. Him, him becoming famous would probably make them resent him more.
2: Yeah. Uh, most likely. But maybe I'm being yeah, too, which is, too cynical.
1: No, I mean, I think that's always true that there's going to be, you know, like, there's, you can't please everybody all the time and not everybody's always going to be your friend. But I do wonder about the, um, yeah, if there is a value and kind of, I mean, I've, i I'm, I'm just talking this through and again, we're getting far afield from Dumbo, but, you know, um, I, one of my colleagues at work, um, her son, um, I believe, also has cerebral palsy. Actually, um, I can't remember that for sure. He's he's an adult and he lives in America, so I don't I don't know him. Um, but she was telling me that as a as a child, she kind of told him that you know everybody has their thing um, that sets them apart that makes them odd or or whatever. Um, and your blessing is you know what yours is. You know, like <laughs> you kind of you know you can. You, you know from the get-go um, what your thing is. And so um, there's that sort of positive way of looking at it. And then the other thing I was thinking about was um, Tom Engelberger. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He writes the Origami Yoda um, series of books, um, young adult books uh, that are really great. Um, but he's on the, uh, the Asperger's spectrum. And, um, and he talks about it as being his superpower and as being the thing that has allowed him to become the person that he is and, and to do the things that he does. And so, yeah, I was just wondering, like, is that a positive thing or is that, you know, is it, um, as, as you said, is it a myth that, that carries more danger with it or, or what? I guess if one, if you're counting on other people, um, coming around and liking you because you like yourself, that's always going to be dangerous, you know, regardless of what you're talking about. Um, but if it's, if it's a, a way to help you gain some, you know, just some self-love, some self-confidence, is that a good thing?
2: I, I think it can be. I mean, I've, I have used that superpower language before. Um, and I, I know a lot of um, a lot of people with disabilities do. Um, I, I think something that I, that I often say um, is that growing up with a disability made me a more empathetic person. Um, when, I, when I taught Introduction to Sociology when I was still a college professor, um, I, when I was teaching at a Christian college, I would always start the first day of the semester um, by talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan and um, the, the social responsibility we have as Christians. And I would ask my students, um, how come it is that the priest and the Levite don't notice the wounded man and the Samaritan does? And eventually um, they would say, well, it's, it's because the Samaritan knows what it's like to be socially marginalized. And, um and that that there's um, a, a sort of a, a sort of power in occupying that marginal social space that it it lets marginalized people um, ha- have this kind of fine-tuned vision for other marginalized people. Um, and I, I think that's that's certainly been true in my life. I'm I'm really good at reading other people's feelings. Um, and and interpreting them and and reaching out when I need to because I've been sort of in a lot of emotional situations um, where I have emotional and sometimes physical situations where I've needed other people's help. Um, So I, I can sort of see where those situations are better than a lot of people. So that's... Uh, Yes, I do believe it can be a superpower, and that is how I think my personal superpower works.
0: For Dumbo, it's almost literally a superpower, right? Because he can fly. Yeah, that's right.
1: Well, I'm super glad you you actually brought up uh, The Good Samaritan because I was wondering about that within the context of this movie, Dumbo. Um, I was listening to another podcast called Animation Addicts, and um, one of the ladies on there had mentioned it as well, that she had seen some Good Samaritan within Dumbo in the sense of um, the person you would least expect uh, to be the helper uh, being the one who ends up being help helpful, and you see that with uh, Timothy Mouse as um, you know the movie portrays mice being the the enemies of of elephants elephants are fearful of mice, um, but he's the one who actually steps in uh, to be helpful and then I think you could even see it a little bit with the crows at the end um, that they uh, that they're the ones who maybe you would not expect um, to be helpful based on their uh, initial interactions with Dumbo but they they you know they actually help him to achieve his superpower, and even I know this may be a stretch, but um the I wonder if um the engine at the beginning the Casey jr doing the i think i think i i think I can I think I can, and then I thought I could I thought I could referencing the the little engine that could, which is you know a very um direct parallel to the good Samaritan story right um
2: yeah I, you know, I love that. that. I love that when the, when the engine's language changes after he goes (laughs) over the hill, it's such a tiny thing, but Uh, it always, uh, it always gives me a lot of joy.
1: Yeah. So I wonder if that almost primes the pump for you a little bit to be thinking along Good Samaritan lines right at the beginning of the film. Um, I have no idea if they did any of that intentionally, but I was wondering what you guys thought of that. if, If you, if you saw any of that in the film.
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think it's there. Uh, What about you, Michael?
0: Yeah, I I mean, the movie is so much about cruelty that it's got to also be about gentleness and empathy. Although it's interesting, I use the word gentleness, but the other empathetic characters in the movie are the crows, who are not really gentle at all. <laughs> um, but, but nevertheless, like clearly, clearly know what it's like to be Dumbo in a certain way. Cause they're, they're clearly outcast too. They live outside of populated areas unlike real crows. And, uh, and, and because they're coded as African American in 1941, you know, that, that marks them as outsiders too. And they're, they're the ones who really help Dumbo. Not that I would sign off on everything about the portrayal of the crows.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, de- definitely not.
1: Yeah, definitely the context of the time makes makes a difference, um, and so we're going to look at things a little differently today than probably most people would look at it back then. But
0: well, and there was a there was an African American animator at Disney, and they asked him about what he thought about the crows, and he said that. He never even- it never even occurred to him that they could be racist that that they're based on african American performers at the time
2: yes. and they're voice
0: they're voiced by african Americans um at a time when they didn't have a lot of film roles for African Americans so we look at that and it seems horrible i mean the the main crow's name, although it doesn't appear in the film is jim crow uh but I think for its time it was it's not progressive, it was at least not retrograde
2: it it's really not the the routine that they do um we I took this really fantastic um african American theater history class when I was an undergrad, and uh that crow scene is one of the first things we watched and um and our professor put it up next to some uh early like 10 types and early photographs of uh, a Jim Crow minstrel routine. And it's pretty, um, whatever the 19th century analog for shot for shot would be. Um, It's, I mean, it is a routine beat for beat that already existed. So it's a historically accurate kind of recreation of an art form um, that was really sort of communally valuable um, yeah, so I, I think to to just call it racist is is anachronistic and and not a not a great way to go.
0: It's also worth noting that the crows are smart you know with 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 minstrel shows, usually the idea is to make African Americans look stupid, but the crows aren't stupid at all. they're the the smartest characters in the movie in all likelihood. Yeah, they seem to be as real crows are also very smart.
2: I was gonna say, let's. Uh, why don't you tell us all how great you think crows are? Crows are your I favorite. Do
0: like, I do like crows a lot. They're very smart, but this is not really a, an appropriate venue for me to talk about my love of crows. I was mostly
2: just picking on you.
0: Another time. <laughs> I, I would say, I would say, the more troubling racial presentation in the movie is the roustabouts. Yes, uh, are, they don't have all, faces. Like, they don't have faces, and they they do the work of animals,
2: mm.
0: or maybe they just work with animals.
1: Yeah, fairness to the not having faces. If you watch at the at the beginning of the movie, um, there there are plenty of white faces, white folks who are lighter colored skins at least that that don't um, that also don't have faces. I think it's it's the crudeness of the animation. Um, you see it also. They did they did a similar thing in um, in Pinocchio actually. Um, for as fine as all the animation is, and that there's there's the one scene when they're headed off to the uh, pleasure island, where the the cart is a little bit in the distance, and the boys are all riding on the cart, and none of them have faces. And um, it actually it reminded me a little bit of uh, in in Fantasia on the in the centaur scene. I think there's a few places. I don't know if they completely remove faces, but there's definitely a few shots where they're pretty featureless. Um, in the background. And so I, I can see how it's problematic, but I also think part of the part of it is just the crudeness of the animation and the, that they were going for fast and quick and, and make this film as cheaply as possible so that any pro any money that it makes will, will be profitable and rather than just uh, putting us further in debt.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, it is stylized.
1: Yeah. But I agree that it is problematic. The, well, actually, um, the I I I think the other thing that we could look at in this film, if you guys have have time to do it, it would be um, what this what this movie says about work. I think it's very interesting. Um, the just the context in which the movie was made. Um, the Disney Disney Studios was going through a. a Contentious time with their labor, and uh, there was actually a strike during the middle of the movie. Um, they were trying to unionize uh, about
0: the clown singing. Uh, we're gonna ask the big boss for a raise.
1: Right. Yeah. Th- so I think that's very intentional that that's in there. Um, I think the roustabout song may be an intentional sort of thing um, that's in there, talking about we don't know when we're gonna get paid, and and then as soon as we pay, as soon as we do get paid, we're gonna blow it all anyway, and um, uh, yeah so happy
0: hearted most about though
1: they are happy hearted that's true um and yeah even the Casey Jr um being named after Casey Jones uh Casey mm. Jones there's there was a couple folk songs that were popular at the time about him uh one one where he was uh it was a pro union song but Casey is is um anti union in the song and he ends up uh going to hell for it um oh i don't so, know that. So, it's, it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so yeah I, I, again it's it's hard to know like how many of these connections were were purposeful or not but that was definitely the the atmosphere that this this movie was being made in was a lot of discontentment with with the workforce at disney and the rise of unions in in uh in the United States in general, I guess, and just labor laws and all those sorts of things.
2: And circus folk unionize so early compared to um, other professions and other parts of the country, too. So that's um, that's interesting.
0: That is interesting. I, I had not thought about all that.
1: I only thought about it enough to ask you guys the question to see if you guys had anything interesting to say about it because I don't I don't know enough to um, to be able to to say anything intelligent well, what, about it. I, but I, I can was, say enough to ask the question.
0: Walt Disney was a well-known union buster, uh, which yeah which that's, is what makes that's it, right. it makes it so funny that they made Newsies, which is all of which is all about the noble union.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, you can, uh, you can come back to this conversation in 20 years when you talk about Newsies.
0: We're not going to talk about Newsies. We're only doing the animated movies.
2: <sighs> That's a bummer. Newsies is great.
0: If we were doing the non-animated yeah. movies, we'd have to talk about the shaggy dog and the computer wore tennis shoes.
2: Boo. <laughs> oh my goodness. Love it. But yeah. as, a, uh, as a girl who grew up in the 90s, Newsies is my favorite. I'm in that weird, like five-year sweet spot where everybody loved newsies. T-
0: talking about terrible fake New York accents.
2: It's true, and horrible disability stuff. Kid's name is Crutchy. <laughs> you
0: have to wonder why his parents named him that. <laughs>
2: you didn't have any parents, silly. <sighs>
1: Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to have to do, a, do an episode on uh, <laughs> on Newsy.
2: <laughs> Did you ever see an elephant fly? <laughs> well, I seen a horse fly. <laughs> I seen a dragon fly. <laughs> <laughs> I seen a <the> house fly. <laughs> see, I seen all that too. I seen a peanut stand and heard a rubber band. I seen a needle that it winks its eye, but I be done seeing about
0: everything when I see an elephant fly. what you say, boy? I said when I
2: see an elephant fly.
0: We d- we haven't I really talked about Pink Elephants on Parade, which is read. one of the greatest pieces of animation ever. Um, and, and it's it's amazing in, in its way. The same way some of the uh, the sequences from Fantasia are amazing. Which is, they're just, it's just pure imagination. There, there's, no, mm-hmm. there's no story to it. it just, it's just images that occurred to the animators. And uh, there's some really great, creepy, psychedelic stuff in that sequence. And, I mean, there's a reason that's the part of this movie everybody remembers. Even if, like Victoria, they're yeah. afraid of it.
1: Yeah. I remember not really liking it as a child. I liked it I liked it better now, watching it as an adult, and I think partly because we just came off of Fantasia and it definitely seems to fit that vibe and it makes sense within the timeline like that they're you know the animators are also just coming off of Fantasia, so probably you know i I imagine that some of the same animators who are working on on some of the um you know. I forget what they call. It. <laughs> I have to go back to my Fantasia notes, but they talked about the, the three different kinds. You know, like the of of you know the non-story um, elements of. You I think know, I think the visuals I or whatever the
0: language is a definite series of images, mm. rather than a story.
1: Yeah, so, which
0: I, I I just think. I know that it's Leonard Maltin's favorite piece of animation ever is Pink Elephants on Parade. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm not sure there's anybody in the world who loves Disney animation as much as Leonard Maltin, so.
2: That's true. If if it's his favorite, I kind of feel bad about how much I don't like it because he is the best.
0: Sometimes I sing it just to freak Victoria out.
2: That is true. I, yeah. I
0: sing that in my home, uh, uh sorcerer's apprentice, which you're also afraid of. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes, but let's not talk about things I'm afraid of.
1: I think it suffers by its placement in this movie. Like, I feel like it doesn't, it doesn't quite fit the film. I mean, the film is dark, as you, as you said, Michael. So maybe it does fit in that way. Um, but yeah, I feel like it would be a better, it would be better in something like Fantasia.
2: It, You're kind of almost,
1: expecting something like that.
2: Yeah, it almost sticks out too much visually. I think, like the, the visual style of the animation is almost too different to to get the cohesion back after it's over. But maybe I, that's on on purpose. I think
0: you need it. I think, I think, um, I, I think it serves a narrative purpose, which is you got to get Dumbo out of the circus and in the top of a tree. And the best was to get him rip-roaring drunk. And once you get him drunk, in a movie about an elephant getting drunk, how do you not play on the old drunk people see pink elephants thing? I, I think it's a brilliant sequence in almost every way. Mm. And maybe even better than that, go back and watch the movie and look at Dumbo's facial expressions just before that. Uh, drunk Dumbo is my favorite Dumbo. <laughs>
2: Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to be real stupid for a second. The Pink Elephants thing exists before this movie and doesn't come from it? That was like, like a Jiminy thing?
0: Cricket. They're, playing on a, they're playing on a pop cultural trope. You know, Jiminy Cricket is a euphemism for Jesus Christ. You would, you would yell Jiminy Cricket, as they do in Snow White. Um, and yeah, Pink Elephants is something drunk people supposedly see long before this movie.
2: Cool. Hmm. I did not know
0: that. I, yeah, I did not know that either. I now it feels a little less out of nowhere, doesn't it? I that's
2: mean true. I think I think I just figured he saw elephants because he's an elephant, but that makes a different level of sense.
0: More elephants being mean to him, I suppose. Yeah, although they're not really mean to him. I mean it's not a
1: it's not a heffalumps and woozles. Um, although that's the one that that it most reminded me of, where, you know, in Heffalumps and Woozles, Pooh Bear is actually within the sequence himself, and he is being picked on by, by his hallucinations. And this right. Dumbo's not really being picked on; he's he's just witnessing it.
2: That that clearly owes some some visual resonance to Pink Elephants on Parade, too. And yes, I am, I am also afraid of Heffalumps and Woozles, just in case we're making a comprehensive list.
0: <laughs> Victoria's not afraid of any kind of any kind of surreal uh, musical sequence in a Disney
2: movie. I like to be in control of things. I like things to make sense. I like to know where they're coming from. And sorry.
0: All right, Reese Witherspoon.
1: I think the most frightening part in the sequence is when the bed is on the ceiling because the bed looks so unlike anything else. in in the movie like it's it's hyper realistic or something and it's at all those weird angles it's just i don't know there's something about that bed on the ceiling that is frightening or that and the the elephant made out of all heads of other elephants
2: (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) the eyes it has so many eyes y'all oh no
0: yeah. Hey, I love that sequence. <laughs> we would also be remiss if you didn't point out that this is the first Sterling Holloway role. Uh, he plays the stork. He has a very distinctive voice. He's in a bunch of stuff, shorts and uh, features, but probably most famous for playing Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh.
2: Yes. Yeah. And the the stork is particularly lovely i think and i i might just think that because i do love sterling holloway and winnie the pooh is um winnie the pooh was probably my first favorite disney thing as a child um so maybe that's where my enjoyment of the store comes from but i just his his whole vibe is um is very comforting the way he's just sort of affably borderline incompetent <laughs>
0: Is the <laughs> implication that she's getting the wrong baby? Um
1: I don't the the gossipy elephants definitely think so.
2: There there is like a little I mean it's it's not super heavy, but there is just enough of an implication, um, like because he comes too late and because like he's almost always falling through the cloud. There's like a little bit of a kind of mistake shade to the whole thing that made me a little uncomfortable.
0: I I saw somebody online said that Dumbo is a Asian elephant, whereas all the other ones are African elephants.
1: Uh, I think, I think you have that backwards. I think the African elephants have the bigger ears and the Asian elephants have the smaller ears, but Yeah that i th- I thought of that as well like i mean just i didn't think of it prior but just now when you said is there an element of it being a mistake i was i was thinking oh maybe he's the wrong kind of elephant but
2: that's interesting but even, I african, never thought elephants, about
0: that. even african elephants don't have ears that big no i think
1: that's one thing that we also should should mention in this movie it's i found this movie really funny like there's a lot of very funny parts i've found like the some of the clown gags and stuff um yeah i think i think as as dark as the movie is and we've spent most of our time talking about that there's a lot of very funny little gags in it and i think the whole the whole thing with the stork with with uh you know the bag falling through the clouds with um with him constantly interrupting her ability to actually get to the present that she wants so much. And this is all, this is all part of the service (laughs) and getting, getting yanked off the train during his uh, ridiculous um, singing of happy birthday. I think, you know that. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of funny moments there.
2: Yeah. That, that whole sequence is, is just incredibly charming.
0: But Sterling Holloway is a national treasure. Victoria, I'm sure we'll want to talk about the theme park ride, Dumbo the Flying Elephant. Which, even though it's a children's ride, I'm forced to wait in line for every time we go to Disney World.
2: I'm not, sorry, not sorry. I'm never going to not ride Dumbo. Uh, You can't go to Disney World without riding Dumbo. And uh, even though I am an adult person, I do not ride that ride without saying hello to Timothy Mouse. And I will always do that. And I'm not ashamed. That ride's great. I know it just goes around in a circle. I don't know. I I think it's. I, I have a, a deep sense of nostalgia for that ride.
0: I don't know if they have it at Shanghai, Josh.
1: I'll I'll well, let you know.
0: It's so iconic. Assume, Are you yeah, guys going?
1: I f- um, I don't know. I don't know. I got to talk Allison into it. So,
0: tell her it's research.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'll let her know. Well, the other thing I enjoyed in this movie, I, I, I even though the animation is de- very different and crude compared to to some of the other stuff, I thought they went back to the watercolor backgrounds for this one, which I think is really effective in in a few places. Um, and um, yeah, like there, there's. Yeah, just a few touches here and there where you can you can tell that they've still put their normal sort of Disney craft into it. Um, one of the ones that jumped out at me was when the when Dumbo falls out of the tree and they rather than seeing him fall down, you go to the crows and the crows are watching. And then with each bump, their hats like flip off their heads. Just found that very.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a very, very silly. Lovely. gag. Yeah. Uh, you you've called the animation crude a couple times and I, I i have heard other people say that but i thought there were a lot of really cool shots i mean the movie opens with that thunderstorm and the rain looks better than we've seen rain look before
1: i uh, i think you're right i think they've nailed thunderstorms now <laughs> much better than the thunderstorms in um uh, whatever that beethoven sympathy was was it oh it wasn't
0: pastoral was it? yeah number 6 yeah the pastoral yeah, and then um, I, the also thing. the the scenes with the hippos, what they do with the the different levels of the water, I thought was really cool. They have mm-hmm. bubbles coming up and different levels of distortion. So I I I thought some of the animation was as good as anything in Fantasia. Yeah, I agree. On the Wild Mountain.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely there in spots.
0: I agree. This is my say, favorite so far, I have to say. I like it I like it better than Pinocchio, which I know is a, is a controversial opinion in some quarters.
1: Yeah. No, I this is definitely I it's hard to separate from the nostalgia for me because I watched it so much as a kid. Um and the, the it's definitely the, the best story that we have so far or the mo- the story that resonates the most with me, I guess. Um So, yeah i guess when i say crude i I never noticed it as a child and probably would not have noticed it at had i not been looking for it for the fact that i knew that they purposely made this movie cheap but you can see it in you know there's there's a few times when you know it's a wider shot that the you know like the faces on uh timothy mouse for example he loses most of his features or um with the crows you know like if you if if uh, you've got all the crows in the scene, um, you know, they get, they get down to more specs than, than I think they would have in uh, something like Snow White, for example, where I think they really put a lot of attention into every bit of every scene, you know?
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: So that's what I mean by it. But yeah, overall, I think it's still definitely gets the, uh, the effect that they wanted to cross maybe we should say something about the music what do you guys think about the music
2: i was i was surprised how many of the songs i remembered like remembered the words to um while we were watching it cuz has been i don't know probably pretty close to 20 years since i've watched jumbo all the way through no i don't um,
0: think so i think i think we watched it together when we first started dating
2: that really? I don't yeah. remember that. Plus, I, think I, f- so. I feel like I would have been not willing to be that emotional in front of you that early. But maybe I'm remembering that wrong. All I, right. think,
0: I think we watched that together.
2: Surely, I cried all the way through because yes, that's sh- what I Cause that's what I do.
0: Because I, it had never occurred to me that this movie was a disability allegory.
2: Oh, okay. Well, glad to be of service, I guess. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Um, the, the music is great, um, Casey Jr. is very important to me, I, I think because it is, it is the beginning of every trip to Disney World, um, like, when you, when you go in, uh, the, the gate right where the, the train station is, that song is playing, and for me, that's, like, when the, when the vacation starts. Even if I'm there, it hasn't started until I hear Casey Junior for the first time. Uh, so, I I like uh, I like hearing that song. Um, I already talked about how "Baby Mine" made me want to call my mom. Are there other?
0: Your favorite, your favorite uh, is uh, when I see an elephant cry or fly, isn't it? When I See an elephant. Cry. <laughs> I guess you so see much
2: that too so much talking about crying um i really do like that song my my dad used to sing it around the house um my dad's really great at voices uh we we had this this disney book when i was a kid which my mom recently gave me back uh so i i have my storybook again and that's great um but my favorite story to hear my dad read was um, Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Baby because he, uh, he did the Uncle Remus voice and he sort of used the same voice to, to sing When I See an Elephant Fly. So I think that's why I like that song.
0: A be done scene, just about everything.
2: And I, um, I even as a kid, I guess I've, I've always been like a, a language person, a word person. Um, and I, I distinctly remember recognizing the the puns in the song as a kid, um, like the the way that lots of the words um, do two things at once. Uh, I've seen a horse fly, you know, they're talking about, strange things like literal horses flying but they're also talking about the fact that there's a bug called a horsefly like that's a that's a cool development for your brain to go through when you're a kid and I remember being like wow words can do lots of things and that's neat
0: yeah I think the music's I think the music's fantastic I think it's better than both Pinocchio and Snow White in terms of the music
1: yeah I agree and it does a lot, especially at the beginning of the movie, I was noticing, like, it's song, 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 and very, like, almost zero dialogue until, um, basically until you meet Timothy, but it's just also awesome. like, there's three or four songs right in a row there at the beginning. Well, should we wrap it up? I think we should. Any thoughts on how uh, this, this movie should shape our imaginations?
0: as I said, I think this is this is the most human one that we've watched so far, and in some ways the most ethical one i think I think this one this one really does give you a model of how to act, how to treat other people in a way that in a way that Pinocchio and Snow White don't. I'm just skipping Fantasia because Fantasia is such a strange movie, but like this this you watch this and you want to be like Timothy Mouse, without the movie having to be preachy, which it's not.
2: Yeah, I was I was really struck by how not preachy it is, because I think in my head it lives in the same place as Pinocchio, which is much preachier, um, though it does have the the sort of moral ambiguity and maybe bad lessons that you guys talked about on that episode. Um, I, I was shocked at how, um, it gives you that model. Um, Dumbo gives you that model without shoving it down your throat.
1: All right. Well, uh, before they were live is a proud member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Uh, our press liaison is Christian Philippic. I want to thank you all so much for listening to us. Uh, we invite you to join And continue our conversation by emailing us at beforetheywerelive at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, beforetheywere.live. You can find us through uh, the Mother Podcast website and Facebook. Um, Thank you so much, Victoria, for joining us today. Uh, You Make sure that you can find more of her on the Christian Feminist Podcast. And as Disney probably said, let your live action be strong and your animation be stronger.